We're looking through the Bible and uh, we're doing a 10-week series from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And uh, I'm not sure I've got enough time to do the rest of Leviticus today. Sam's shaking his head. Does that mean, yeah? No. We've got time for the video. Uh, we're going to s- do a little bit on uh, Leviticus, but I'm not sure I'll do uh, the whole thing I had in mind. But Leviticus is the third book in the Torah. Uh, and Scott will bring up the first slide. So we're looking at Leviticus. And um, I was listening to Sam last week, and I thought of him as Big Sam. So put the second slide up, please. Big Sam. Uh, some of you that are football fans will know the guy on your left there. And the reason that is that, that Sam gets very, our Sam, Corey, gets very excited about the big story of the Bible, the big story of Scripture. And we had a taste of it there, seeing God moving around the world and thinking of Africa and thinking of China. But he's, he loves the meta-narrative, is that right? And you appreciate God's purposes in history and finding your place within them. So it's kind of big picture stuff. It's very exciting. So if you're looking at Torah, read Genesis, read Exodus, and get excited at the big picture of what God's doing around the world. Uh, next, what I think is going on is, is iGospel in this world. That's not internet gospel. That's a kind of focus on me. And Sam's first preach here at Forest Hill uh, if you remember, how many of you were here like seven years ago? You might remember it. Uh, he had a, a picture a bit like that, and the big picture was of Melissa, who was his wonderful. Were you engaged then? It was your fiance at the time. Yeah, they were engaged, and he was telling stories of how he came, it was long distance love. They weren't in the same part of the country, and they were engaged, and he was missing her. And he put up a picture like that, and that was Melissa there. Obviously, that woman isn't. And he was in the, the bottom corner as Sam. And the, the point Sam made at the time was uh, he found, he, instead of just gazing at Melissa in the big picture, he kept looking down to the little picture of himself and kind of thinking, how do I look how am I coming across? And kind of focusing on that. That was his confession. Didn't mind me repeating that confession, did you? It's still true, but they don't use Skype. But it just kind of makes the point that we need to look to Jesus. We need to see the big picture and not just be obsessed with ourselves. And the kind of I gospel or maybe the prosperity gospel, it's all about health and wealth. It's about me and my needs. And it's kind of God exists to meet my needs. But actually there's a bigger picture. We need to look to Jesus. We need to be caught up in the big story of God. And God is concerned about you. He's concerned about your struggles. He's concerned about your issues. But he's got the whole world in his hands. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. And so instead of just obsessing about me, he said, I've given you that ministry of reconciliation. I need to find my place in God's bigger purposes and allow God to reach out through me to people around me and and be part of his great promise of reconciling the world to himself. Jesus died for me. And the Christian message used to be, take up your cross and follow him. It's about service, it's about sacrifice in response to what Jesus has done for us. And has that gospel 
been dialed down? Is it a me-based gospel now? Or are we still willing to take up the cross and follow him? And the big picture goes from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the real keys is, of course, knowing God. And it's about being in God's presence. And I think that's really come through in the worship today as we all started to gather and we were singing out to God. I felt there's a wonderful sense of God's presence here. And the big story is about being in the presence of God. And in Genesis, uh, it says God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God saw all that he'd made, and it was very good. So we get the goodness at the start of creation. It was all good. And then Genesis 3, verse 8, says this. This is just after the fall, the rebellion of humankind. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. But they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And because of sin, they wanted to hide away from the presence of God. And that's so tragic. And then you get to Genesis 3. The Lord God banished him from the garden and sent him to work on the ground. He drove the man out of the garden to the east and there were cherubim with flaming swords guarding the way to the tree of life. And we separated from God's presence. I believe there's a mercy in there. I think if we'd been in a sinful state and eaten of the tree of life and tried to remain in God's presence, we would have been destroyed or stuck in sin for eternity. So it's hard, but it was uh, a relief and uh, uh, a mercy for us not to be in God's presence in our sinful state. But then we move right to the end of the Bible in Revelation, and Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He'll dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And so we were created to be in God's presence Through sin and rebellion, we come out of God's presence. But our destiny is to be fully present with God in the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no light. The presence of God will provide the light of life. That's where we're going. That's where we're heading. And we've been in the garden in humankind. But there's that problem of sin and rebellion and distance from God. And Leviticus is going to say something to us about how to be in God's presence again. I was uh, wondering if there'd be any old hippies here today. I see Pat there. You look like you might have been an old hippie. John Copping was probably an old hippie. I was thinking uh, John and Fiona are in uh, Spain. I was going to get old photos of John with long flowing hair back in the 60s. But there is this kind of yearning to, to, for reality to be uh, with God. And I was looking at the lyrics to Joni Mitchell's song, Woodstock which uh, John will sing to you now, I'm sure. We are stardust, 
we are golden and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Do you remember those words? Kind of yearning for something. But actually, we're not kind of going back to the garden of Genesis 1. Our destiny is to move forward to the city, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, and with millions of others be gathered together for all time in the presence of God. And so the presence of God is part of the really big story of the Bible. And that's what Leviticus is about. Next slide. It finds its place in the middle of those five books of Torah, of the Pentateuch. Just want to ask you a couple of questions. Why is it called Leviticus? Levites, yeah. I was going to ask someone to name the 12 tribes of Israel, but uh, we need to move on. So we call it Leviticus because it's got something to do with Levi. And what did the Levites do? They were priests. They worked in the temple to facilitate worship. So that's why we give it the name. What's it called in the Hebrew Bible? You probably don't know. I didn't know it. I looked it up. Uh, Vayikra, V-A-Y-I-K-R-A. People are nodding, yeah, of course. Why is it called that? It's called that because that's the first word in it. And the Hebrew books in the Bible are called by the first word of the book. So it's not surprising. It works through the Hebrew Bible. What does it mean? It means, and he called. And he called. And God called out from the tabernacle to Moses. So that's what the name of the book is. And we're looking at the speech uh, from God to Moses and to the people of God coming from the tabernacle in the book of Leviticus. But I'm sure all of you know what it says in Leviticus 19 verse 18. You all know that. You could just say it straight off the top of your head. There we are. Did you just look it up, Paul? Even Paul cheated and looked it up in his Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's in the book of Leviticus. Now, Sam did a brilliant job last week taking us through Leviticus, and he cribbed from the Bible project. And that's where he nicked his sources. And we're going to look. This is a video. It's just six minutes long. And I want to pick up a few important points from it and then close as soon as possible. For the next six minutes, if someone could turn the volume up nice and loud, someone else turn the lights out. This is a quick summary. If you get this, you'll get the book of Leviticus. And uh, this is uh, an excellent presentation. And do look up the Bible project to help you get to grips with the Bible. Very good, isn't it? Fantastic. So we could have had six minutes of that instead of the whole of Sam last week. That's brilliant. I've got a lot more to say, but I'm aware that time's gone. Perhaps some lights can come on at the back. And I just want to um, wind up uh, on drawing out a few points from that. It's around the idea that God's presence is good, but it's dangerous, isn't it? And we need God's presence with us. Moses said, if you don't go with us, how are we any different from the rest of the world? We need God's presence with us. But if we're in that sinful state and we try and get close to God, there are consequences, aren't there? If you read Leviticus, in Leviticus 10, uh, Sam mentioned this last week, uh, two of 
uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, uh, came wrongly into the presence of God and they died. And there's a story in the New Testament about Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember that story? That's a weird story, isn't it? These two people that sold land and uh, came to bring that offering to the apostles for the work of the kingdom. But they conspired together to lie about the money. They wanted to keep money back for themselves and only give a portion of it to God. But they wanted to pretend they were giving all of it to God so they could look good to other people in the church. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and uh, the husband came in. He lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to the community. He died. And three hours later, the wife came in. Peter asked her if it was true. She said it was, and she lied to God as well, and she lost her life. It's in Acts chapter 5. And it's a difficult story to grasp. And why did it happen? These two people lied it wasn't about the money that they'd given. It was that they deliberately lied to the Holy Spirit. But why did they die? Other people have lied and haven't died. And I believe it's because the presence of God was very, very tangible and real and powerful at that time. And we can choose to have God at a distance and get on with our lives, and it doesn't matter too much, maybe. But if we want to be close to God, if we want to see great things happen for God, then we need to be mindful of what we hear in Leviticus about holiness and about getting our lives right. And it's not by us performing loads of stuff. It's by what Jesus has done for us. And it's interesting, when you read Acts 5 and you read that shocking story, they're taken out of the equation. What happens next? And what happens next is, says this, the apostles performed many signs and wonders and all the believers met together and crowds gathered around the whole town and they saw their sick and those tormented by evil spirits all being healed. And you can't lie to the Holy Spirit and be close to God, but in God's presence, lots of power and miracles can be released. So it's a real challenge to us isn't it and uh, tailors have been to Rome haven't you there's any tailors left in the room I think Fiona's doing Sunday school they've been to Rome uh, this week and I was reminded of the story Thomas Aquinas uh, the theologian was once invited by the Pope to look at St Peter's Basilica in Rome and the Pope showed him into the rooms and they went to the treasury and they saw the priests counting a lot of money and the Pope said, you see, Thomas, we can no longer say, silver and gold, have I none? We've got all this money. And then Thomas said, and yeah, you're no longer saying, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They traded the money for miracles. And we need to be in God's presence. We need to be mindful of issues of holiness and reverence from God if we're going to see wonderful miracles take place. A very sobering story uh, I know from years ago, a young man who was working for the church for years, and he was involved in something called March for Jesus. He was prayer walking around the country. He was a worship leader. He was leading uh, thousands in worship. But all the time behind the scenes, he was having a number of affairs 
with other women and cheating on his wife. And it, it wasn't just that, but it was the fact that he was doing that at the same time as he was involved in national spiritual warfare, leading thousands in worship, pretending to be uh, a very faithful and on-fire Christian worker. And I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know exactly why. But that young man got throat cancer and died when he was still in his 20s. And was it that he was pretending before God and opening himself up to attack and danger because he didn't have the protection of God? I felt it in a very small way uh, doing a student weekend away. And it was going really, really badly. And nothing much was happening. And they weren't very engaged. There weren't very many of them either. And in the very last session, just before lunch on the Sunday, I tried to get a few of them to share something. And one of them did. And then this man burst out crying. And then this girl next to him, she burst out crying. But in that little room in a conference centre down in Sussex, a bit like the one we're going to in February, God's presence came. And it was tangible and real. I actually felt this morning, as we were getting into the worship, there's more and more sense of God's presence. And it felt right to carry on worshipping, didn't it? And people were giving words out and you could sense God getting close and in that little room all those years ago God's presence was really there and alive I just sat back I didn't have to do anything even though I was meant to be leading it and God just did stuff and there were two men in particular I remember the one that cried gave his life to Jesus and there was another young man who didn't believe in God and he couldn't stay in the room when the presence of God but he just had to get out of the room I want more of that I want to see more of God's presence. I want to see the miracles. I want to see breakthroughs. I want to see lives blessed and transformed by the power of God. And we've got the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus to fall back on. But there must be something about holiness that we can learn from Leviticus that makes us think, I need to respect God. I was at a meeting yesterday afternoon, and this is relatively trivial. I'm standing there, they said, let's worship the Lord. And there's a couple of people behind me chatting away so loudly. I'm kind of half drowning out the worship leader. I just thought, that's just not right. It's not respecting the presence of God. And we've got to learn in our, our leisure culture, in our nice, chummy attitude to God, which is great that he calls us our friends and his friend and he forgives us. But have we lost the reverence? Have we lost the respect do we want to be more in God's presence? And we, do we want to see the blessings that that will mean in people's lives? And I think it's really, really important that we do go for that. So those are lessons for our worship. I just want to finish by looking at the offerings. Are you back in the PowerPoint, Scott? We've been through a lot. Just look at the offerings. And there were five offerings that were mentioned the burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, and guilt offering. And I nearly do need to finish with this. And uh, the burnt offering was wholly given to God. The whole offering was burnt up, and it made atonement, covering the sins of the people and making at one with God. The grain offering, part of that was given to God, and part of it was for the priests to eat, like their salary. And there's a lot of humanity in that offering. It was a bloodless offering. The grain represented our work and toil 
and it serves to feed other humans, the priests. The peace offering or fellowship offering, some of it's given to God, but most of it is eaten by the people. And we come to God, make an offering to him and get right with him. And he puts us right with one another and allows us to share fellowship with one another. The sin offering was to purify us from unwitting, unintentional sins. And the guilt offering or reparation offering, if we've failed to do something we should have done or we've ripped someone else off and taken their stuff, we have to say sorry to God but also pay the stuff back with 20% more in saying we're sorry. So in the heart of the community of God, there were five offerings that are really comprehensive in how to live closer to God's presence, how to get life right with God and with each other. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus fulfills all of these offerings. It's interesting, in John 1 it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And actually that word dwelt is the word tabernacled among us. Jesus came to live among us in our community and tabernacle among us. And if you put the next slide up, Scott, Jesus fulfilled it. He's the fully committed sacrifice for sin, like the burnt offering. And he said on the cross, it's finished. I've done it all. You're completely forgiven and free. He's like the grain offering, the grain that's fallen to the ground and died and the grain that was made into bread. And he said, I'm the bread of life and I feed you, I give you life. We take that in the bread in communion. He's like the peace offering. It says in Ephesians, he is our peace that has broken down every wall of division Whatever, race, class, whatever, he's broken down the wall of division between people because he's our peace. He pays for unintentional sins. He said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he deals with our guilt. It says in Romans 8, there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, We don't need, fortunately, to slaughter animals or goats or bulls or lambs today. We need to think about the sacrifices and take holiness seriously. But we want to be thankful that Jesus has fulfilled them all. And we have freedom to enter God's presence through Jesus. But to do that respectfully in a way that honors God and honors each other. There's one other Hebrew word I want to raise before I finish And that's, what's the word for burnt offering? Anyone know this? The word for burnt offering? Nope. And the word literally means burnt whole. And the Hebrew word for burnt offering is holocaust. And so that significant offering, the first offering made for the sins of the world, is the word holocaust. A whole offering completely burnt up. And so in a way, Jesus is our holocaust. He came and gave himself completely. He held nothing back. He lived the perfect life. He went to the cross. He gave everything. He loved us to the uttermost. And he was like the holocaust that burnt up as an offering to God, but not to be a symbol of death but to release life in the face of human suffering and human tragedy. And Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And through Jesus, we get it right 
by living in God's presence, worshipping God as we should, and being the holy people that he's called us to be. There's a lot more in Leviticus, I'd have, uh, a lot more I wanted to say this morning, but I really feel there's been a wonderful sense of God's presence here, and it's connected to the teaching of the Bible. And there's a richness in looking into the Old Testament and realizing more facets of what Jesus fulfilled and what he means to us. But let's just finish by praying together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave it all. Lord Jesus, thank you that you dwelt among us. Thank you that you tabernacled among us. Thank you that you were every offering, even that burnt offering like the Holocaust, when you gave it all on the cross. You've done it all, Lord Jesus, to help us to live close to God and to be able to come into the presence of the living God. Lord, we thank you that the the curtain's been torn in two from top to bottom and the presence of God is available to people. But Lord, we just can't have that if we take it casually or are comfortable with sin. Lord, we thank you you've forgiven us. But Lord, we need to respect you and out of thankfulness offer our lives to you offer our money to you, offer our thought life to you, offer our relationships to you, offer our attitudes to you and ask you to cleanse us and purify us so that together we can be closer to you. We can enjoy your presence, but together we'll also, if that's the case, see more of your miraculous power released. Lord, we want that not for our own blessing and our own glory, We want that for the glory of God and for the spreading of his kingdom right throughout the earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.